This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Today we're continuing our latest series here at Courageous Church called Home for Christmas. And we're looking at what it means to make our hearts Christ's home through worship and through prayer. Last week, we spoke about preparing more room for Jesus, and we discussed the fact that when Jesus was born at Bethlehem, there was no room for him at the inn. And we looked at three practices that we can employ to make sure there's always room for Jesus at the inn of our hearts. We talked about creating a special meeting place for God and preparing daily moments to give him thanks. And then, of course, the importance of choosing joy. Today, I wanna continue our time together by looking at another key New Testament story surrounding Jesus's birth and the implications of it for our lives today in a message I'm calling a tale of two kings. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter two. I'll be reading from the ESV version today and we'll begin right there in verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. At the moment we pick up this story, we see that Jesus was just born in the small town of Bethlehem during the reign of a local king named Herod. Herod, or Herod the Great, as he was often referred to, was a Roman appointed king over Judea at the time of Jesus' birth. As a ruler of the Jews, he collected taxes on behalf of Rome and quelled many uprisings during his reign. According to the historian Josephus, he was a great soldier, an orator, and a builder. And as a builder, Herod constructed a fortified citadel with many palaces. He called it the Herodium. He also established harbors and trade ports along the Mediterranean coast and erected fortresses for his military. But above all these exploits, he was most celebrated for his work in rebuilding the Jerusalem temple. Considered his crown achievement, it was his work in reconstructing the Jewish temple that won him temporary favor with the people that he was in proxy to rule over. It's against this backdrop that these so-called wise men show up on the scene asking a very particular and unusual question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, wait a minute. What do you mean king of the Jews? According to Rome and the people of Judea, there was only one king of the Jews and Herod was his name, or so they believed. Now, we don't know a whole lot about these wise men other than that they were apparently astronomers who studied the stars and discerned the times regarding what had been foretold about the coming Messiah and this true king to come. But as it turns out, they had some kind of insight regarding what God was up to in the world. And so they come seeking this king of the Jews, and it says that they might worship him. So right at the outset of it all, we see a particular theme emerge here, and it's this, worship. As I've said throughout these past few weeks, I believe the battle being waged on the earth right now is about what or whom is going to receive your worship. Because the truth is this, everybody worships. The real question is what or whom? Worship as we've defined it throughout our worship series is all about what we give our hearts value or worth to. It's holding that particular person or thing in high esteem and giving them our time and talent and treasure. In the case of the wise men here, we see them travel from far east of Jerusalem to bring forth their treasure and gifts. 
And every Christmas we see this scene portrayed publicly by way of what is commonly referred to as the nativity scene. But where there is true worship, there will always be a looming presence of false or counterfeit worship. And as we'll see in the story today, the presence of false worship is never far from the truth. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. As it was known to Herod, it was known to all the people of Jerusalem, including the chief priests and scribes, that a coming Christ, an anointed one, and Messiah was on the way. And the text here says that Herod and all Jerusalem was troubled by this. Now, if you're the king, and you know that you're a proxy king, in other words, a leader appointed to rule on behalf of another, in this case, the emperor of Rome, and on top of that, you know that your rulership is technically limited and can be snatched away from you at any time, you might be troubled. In Herod's case, if you're not ethnically Jewish, but you're raised a Jew, you know that there are some people that might question your right to rule the Jews, and you might be troubled. Additionally, if you're a worshiper of power and your goal is to hold on to it at all costs, and somebody comes along that threatens the very thing that you worship most, you might be troubled. And if you're the people of Jerusalem who have built a way of life around serving those power brokers who have taken up residence among them, of which you most likely probably profit, you might be troubled. Are you catching my drift here today? Interestingly enough, the text says that the birth of the Messiah was a well-foretold and prophesied event, meaning that it was well-known among the scriptures that the people knew and had committed to memory that a Christ was indeed coming and that he would be born in Bethlehem. Verse 5, they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Upon hearing this news, Herod was greatly alarmed and troubled by this tale of a king to come. And it says in verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, we know from the context of Herod's life that his intentions were nothing but evil due to the fear and jealousy that gripped his heart. In fact, given his reputation as a fearmonger and a tyrant, we know that the only thing that Herod was actually interested in was keeping his throne. Nevertheless, an angel from the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and warns him to take the child and his mother to Egypt because Herod was obviously looking to murder Jesus. Verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. We know from the very next verse that Joseph listens to the angel and does what he's instructed to do. Verse 14, and he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I have called my son. And so after being tricked by these wise men, Herod becomes furious and he orders all the male children in Bethlehem, who were two years or younger, to be murdered. 
out of fear that one just might be this prophesied Messiah and king to come. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years or younger, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. We know that Herod was obviously unsuccessful in his attempt to snuff out the Son of God, which only led to him becoming actually even more delusional and psychotic. In fact, Herod becomes so fearful and so paranoid that he eventually orders his own two sons to be strangled and killed and even has his own wife executed for fear that they might take over his throne. You could say that Herod was one jacked up dude. But here's a key point I want to make for us today in this tale of two kings. Number one today, what you worship you enthrone and what you enthrone will rule you. You see, ultimately, Herod worshipped power. It was his great lust for power that dominated the throne of his heart. In other words, it was his desire for power that corrupted his thought life and ruled him all of his days. Because what you worship, you enthrone, and what you enthrone will rule you. For many of us today, we too wrestle with this issue, but maybe in a different way. Instead of power, we call it control. Ultimately, we want control over our lives, don't we? And the thing that dominates our thinking most is this idea that we are in control of our lives and that we can somehow control the outcome of our lives. That's what dominates the throne of our hearts. So we plan and execute. We work and toil and we do all these things that are eventually going to fade away. And why? Because they're essentially rooted in a kingdom that is fading away. It's dominated by a king that's lost and losing his power. Jesus shows up on the scene preaching good news about a different kind of kingdom because he's a different kind of king. Unlike Herod, Jesus is not only the true king of the Jews, he's the king of the world. And he's bringing forth his kingdom, his dynamic rule and reign. And it means that those who have power must now bow their knee and acknowledge his kingship and rule. This is essentially why Herod did what he did, because Herod knew that the true king was coming and that his time was relatively short. In the same way, the enemy or devil, who is often referred to as the power or the prince of the air, knows that his time is short as well. You see, the devil was defeated by way of Jesus' death on that cross and stripped of his right to rule or have dominion over redeemed man. Jesus effectively stripped him of his authority and returned dominion back to the crown of his creation. But the devil was permitted to go on living as a defeated foe in the land, similar to a conquered king. In ancient or medieval times, when a king was conquered or overthrown, he was sometimes permitted to remain in the land as a defeated agent. And a defeated agent can still stir up trouble, can he? He can still lie to you and try to influence you by way of his agents, can he? Of course he can, which makes him still very dangerous. In the same way, 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that the devil roams around looking for people to devour. And he'll do it by all means necessary, folks. He'll lie to you and oppress you and try to bring you under his influence because ultimately he knows, like Herod, that his time left is very short. The scriptures speak of a day and a coming age where the devil will not just be bound up, but rather he'll be fully eradicated by way of a lake of fire, what the Bible refers to as the second death. And everyone and everything that follows in his footsteps will also be destroyed. That's the cautionary tale for us here, folks. It's somewhat ironic that the forces of evil and darkness that attempted to destroy and snuff out Jesus will in themselves be destroyed along with those who serve them. Because 
What you seek to conquer will often conquer you. What you bow your knee to will become the final word about you. So number two today, be careful what you bow to. Herod wouldn't bow his knee to the coming king and it destroyed him. But you and I don't have to follow in the way of Herod. You and I have been invited to follow in the way of Jesus. To bow our knee to Jesus is just another way of saying that we're willing to surrender to him and his way of doing things. To surrender to Jesus or to the way of the King of Kings is to acknowledge his rightful authority and rulership in your life. And I believe that every one of us is given that choice to make every day. Will you bow your knee to Jesus or be caught up in power struggles? Will you follow the way of King Jesus or follow the way of the world and its dying rulers and Herods and kings? Ultimately, you're going to bow to someone. The real question is who? Friends, bowing your knee to Jesus is simple, but not easy, because following Jesus is never easy. But that doesn't mean it has to be complicated. Jesus never intended for your life in him to be chock full of religious baggage, obligations, and rules. He did, however, intend for your life in him to bring about an actual change in the way that you worship and live your life. And that's the invitation today to bring every high thing down that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ in your life. To do this is to replace religious and idolatrous kings with the kingship of Christ. It's to reject the thinking and mindset of this world and to embrace the mind of Christ. It's to, like the wise men when they saw the star, come and worship the true and eternal king. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Finally, number three today, rejoice exceedingly in the Lord. To rejoice exceedingly is to be violently and overwhelmingly glad. It's to, as we talked about last week, choose joy, but not just any kind of joy, a great joy. It says here that the wise men rejoiced exceedingly with great or abundant joy. It was out of this immense joy that they worshipped Jesus. Going into the house, it says, they fell down and worshipped him. And how did they worship him? Well, they gave him costly gifts. They gave costly gifts to a king that was worthy of costly worship. Let me ask you today, are you bringing Jesus costly worship or just offering him cheap lip service? Are you giving him your time, talent, and treasure? Or are you still picking and choosing how you're going to worship him? Friends, I believe this. Jesus is worthy of it all. As rightful king and ruler, Jesus is worthy of our highest praise and most costly worship. For some of you today, your challenge is to delight yourself in the life of the true king. It's to allow him to dismantle your obsession with Herod and all that he represents. Accumulation, having more, keeping more, hoarding it all up. Instead, what we see in Jesus and in this story is the invitation to give and release. It says in the text that the wise men gave gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. In other words, they gave costly gifts. And why? Because they chose to rejoice exceedingly in the Lord. For some of you today, your challenge is to discover, perhaps for the first time, that Christ's rulership over your life is not meant just to be righteous, but also joyful. The truth is, Jesus wants you to walk in his joy, to rejoice exceedingly in him and at all times. 
And that begins with your choice, and I believe your determination to do that. Here's my prayer for you in our church, that this Christmas season would bring about great joy, that you would rejoice exceedingly in the coming of our Lord and Savior, King Jesus, that you would choose to celebrate these moments as an opportunity for great joy, and that in doing so, you would see his star. Friends, I believe God is still wanting to reveal his presence and power to those around us, that they would also see his star and rejoice. You see, Christmas is all about the coming presence and arrival of Jesus, but it's also a reminder to us that God is still with us. He is still Emmanuel, God with us. And because of his presence in our lives, we can know his joy and his peace. Maybe you're here today and or watching or listening online. You don't have any joy or peace, and maybe that's because you don't know Jesus. Or maybe you're just sick and tired of dealing with all of the Herods of the world. Can I invite you to surrender your heart to a good and righteous king today? To ask Jesus to come and be the Lord and Savior of your life. We call this saying yes to Jesus. And here's some good news. The scriptures declare that he is not far from any of us. If only we would seek after him. If that's you today and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. And it goes like this. Jesus, Savior, save me. Save me from myself. Save me from the things that have kept me bound. I believe and confess that you are the Son of God, the Messiah. I believe that you died on that cross for me. And I believe that God raised you to life again. Jesus, I ask that you would come and give me a new life of freedom and hope in you. I close the door to sin and I look to you to be my righteousness. Jesus, I ask that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit all the days of my life and make all things new. Amen. And if you just prayed that with us today, we want to say welcome to the party. Welcome to the family of God. And we'd love to celebrate with you and know about your decision today. The best way to do that is to fill out a digital connect card at our website, courageouschurch.com connect. And this will help our team know how to follow up with you and pray for you in the days ahead. We'd also like to send you a Bible and help you take some next steps in your faith journey. For those of you that are here in the Salt Lake area, we're meeting in person at our brand new location at 10702 South, 300 West in South Jordan, right off the 15 freeway. And we're doing that on Sundays at 5 p.m. We'd love for you to come out and safely experience everything that we're about. Lastly, for those of you that love Courageous Church, we wanna encourage you to honor God with your giving and your best. We believe generosity is the key to a joy-filled life and we invite you to give cheerfully as the Lord leads you. Remember, your gracious giving and support allows us to advance God's good mission for the people of Salt Lake City, the Mountain West, and beyond. It helps us reach more and more people each and every week with the hope, healing, courage, and life of Jesus. So if you want to be a part of what God is doing to make a big difference with this church, you're welcome to drop off your gift and service. You're welcome to mail it in or just simply go to CourageousChurch.com giving to give online. As always, church, you are God's best. You are his masterpiece. We wish you a happy and very Merry Christmas. Be strong and courageous. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.